We can have our young people go downstairs. Miss Brooks got a great day for you. Well, this morning I want to focus right now on church life, uh, the portrait of a church. So for the next few weeks we're going to be focusing on kind of what a church should look like, right? We have the patterns and uh, we're not there and we won't be there till, uh, till Jesus Christ returns. But as God works in our hearts and our lives, I believe that that paintbrush, as God strokes it, I love this picture up here. It's in the middle of the street, and there's that heart being painted, and I love that, because today the first portrait I wanted us to look at, if we're kind of building that portrait or that picture, uh, is the portrait of a church that is full of love. Turn to someone and say, I love you. I love you. That was so funny. You said it exactly how I said that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. We see a letter here that's built to these churches. And it's something that I want to key in on because you can have highly successful churches missing the mark. We can have a lot of things going right here and still miss the most important thing. We can have lots of people giving and we can have lots of programs and we can have all of that. But I wanted to build it, and I think it's very important for us, for us to understand in Revelation here where Christ starts with this letter to the churches. And um, Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 7, actually in verse 4. The church in Ephesus, actually... Let's start in verse 1. Why don't we? Should we just... Why, why don't we just start in Genesis? No. <laughs> Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Write this letter to the angel of the church of Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you first did. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans just as I do. Anyone who has ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life and the paradise of God. Isn't it interesting how he starts this situation, these red letters, Christ speaking to his church. And he says, I love it. You don't tolerate evil people. You don't tolerate the mess. You don't tolerate the Nicolaitans who tried to create idol worship and everything. You say, none of that. I, I love your hard work and I love your dedication. But I have this against you. I have this problem. Is that you don't have the same love you used to have for me. And you don't have the same love that you used to have for the people around you. Amen. Amen. That's right. And I think what happens with us, it's really easy 
for us to kind of get into a works-oriented gospel and forget the first love. I use that verse time and time again from David. Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. In other words, David had lost that first love. And I think where the church loses it now, because we can create things, we can do things, churches in a box, we have metrics and we can measure this and do that. We're, we're, we're very scientific in our approach, so we can do polls, we got all the data. We really got to a point where you don't need Christ, we don't need love, because we've got results. I wanted us to think today about where our affections are trending. You know, you hear the word trending now, you have trending topics in social media, you have Twitter does things, and you've got all these things that are trending, and you have vi things go viral, you know, you have that one video, how many watched a really cool video this week, I was thinking of Memorial Day, of that soldier who was actually going on the memorial, and he was putting flags on the unknown soldiers in the middle of a thunderstorm. And it went viral, it's a beautiful thing, but I think in our lives, Things start to trend in our lives, and we lose the first love. We lose the reason why we're even here in the first place. Which way are your affections trending? You don't love me or each other as you first did. Charles Spurgeon writes, To put it in very practical terms, Today I have performed all the duties of my office, but I have I been careful to remain in my Lord's love. I have not failed to do all that was possible for me. I've gone from early morning until late at night, packing as much work as possible. How many have been there before? And every hour and trying to do it with all my heart. But have I, after all, done this unto the Lord and for his sake? I tremble for fear that I would serve God merely because I happen to be a minister and am called to preach his word or because the natural routine of the day carries me through it. I am concerned lest I be impelled by any force but the love of Jesus. You know, it's really easy for me to just preach a message. It's really easy for me kind of in the routine of the day. How many know routines really get the best of us sometimes? How many know routines get the best of us and we forget the very people that are next to us are the most important people in our life? We forget to say simple things like, I love you and I need you and I can't live without you. We forget when we come to church in the novice of routine. We park at the same place, go the same roads, see the same people, and the people lose being special to us. God loses being special to us. We read the Bible, we go to church, it's so nonchalant. There is no reverence for Him, there's no adoration, there's no nothing because it's just routine. And Charles Spurgeon says, I fear that everything I've done has just been because of routine. Just been because I'm just called to preach the gospel, so I'll just do it. They've lost the love. How am I trending today, God? Am I being drawn to you, or am I being drawn to this? Am I chasing after this? Or maybe I've just gotten so dull... It's so cold that I even lack any emotion to you. Which way are my affections trending today? You see, Jesus, in this verse of Scripture, He was searching for those whose hearts would beat after Him. He's not looking for successful people. Do you know that? Amen. He's not looking for people that have it put together, folks. He's not looking for a church full of money. He's not looking for people who have got it together. He's looking for people who love Him. Amen. 
after him with all of his heart. Do you know he said, listen, if you don't quickly repent, here's what's going to take place. I'm going to remove your lampstand. And people say, wow, that's, that's hard. That's harsh, isn't it? That's harsh. But it's not harsh. Because we are the city on the hill. We're the light. And Christ says, if you don't choose to use what I've got, I'll take the lampstand away. And by the way, it doesn't mean about salvation. It means about the favor of God and what he called you to do. Removing the lampstand is simply saying, listen, I'm going to put you out. I need someone else up here in this place. Ephesus, do you love me with all of your heart? It's a challenge, isn't it, to give God all of our heart because everything else is trending forward. Everything else is competing for my attention. I, I like this and I love this and we've used love so sloppy now, don't we? We just love everything. We don't even define love how the Bible defines love. And Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. We say we love something and we don't even understand what love even is. We've redefined love. You see, Jesus, to Ephesus and to us in this letter, was saying, you and I can love him and our hearts can be after him. A.W. Tozer wrote, what can all this mean except that we have in our hearts organs by means of which we can know God? As certainly as we know the material of things through our familiar five senses, we apprehend the physical world by exercising the facilities given to us for that purpose. And we possess spiritual facilities by means which we can know God and the spiritual world if we obey the Spirit's urge and begin to use them. You can know Him. You can know Him. See, we have the five senses, but you also have the spiritual world. You have the physical world, but you know what's more dominant than the physical world? is the spiritual world. Remember when the prophet said, Lord, open my servant's eyes, open his eyes so he can see. And I think when we begin to fall in love with Christ and when we're consumed by that love for Him and the people of God and the people of this world will understand, God, that there is a bigger thing than just our five senses. How many have bad feelings going on today with your five senses? They just all didn't line up. They're just not all the time going to line up. But you know what can line up really good for you and for me? Is our spiritual hearts beating after God and we can look to something a lot more deeper than what we see in front of our eyes. When we start to open up to the possibility of the spiritual in our lives and that we can commune with God and we can talk to Him just like we talk to the people next to us, we'll have a whole different perspective. You can know Him today. And it's not hard. You don't need a graduate course on knowing God. You don't need to go to school on how to know God. Have you noticed that in the school of theology and stuff? You won't get those. You'll get things on Hebrew and Greek and church doctrine and church history and New Testament theology and the prophecy. You get all those things, but you don't have those courses on how do I get to actually know the God of the Bible that wrote this? Amen. So you have men and women who are filled with information, but they don't have the understanding of the Holy Spirit going in and through them that they are passionately in love with Jesus Christ. God is not mocked, by the way. He will not be taken lightly. And that church in Ephesus, he said, listen, you guys have got it. You're going after things, but he's not going to be taken lightly. You just don't go after God casually in your life. You go after him. You think about your spouse right now, men and women. Men, did you chase those wives that you're sitting next to, or did you kind of just in the background just wait for them to come to you? I think he went after them. (laughs) 
You can know Him. You can go after Him. Tozer goes on to write, If you would follow on to know the Lord, come at once and open your Bible, expecting it to speak to you. Do not come with the notion that it is a thing that you can push around at your convenience. It's more than a thing. It's a voice. It's a word. It's the very Word of God living. Hold dearly to Him. Folks, you know, this isn't something that we just push around conveniently. And I love it when I hear people, and I don't want to bash people today, but I'm telling you, if you want to get to know God and develop a love for Him, if you don't open this, you're not going to get to know Him. If you choose to forego this, and you choose to go in your little shortcut mode of your own little life, and you're completely cutting out the Word of God and what He spoke to you, you will never know and sense the love of God in your life. You'll never get to know Him. So how do we love someone we don't even get to know? How do we know His character and His ways and His nature unless I go through Scripture old and new and say, Who is the God of the Bible? Who is He? What is He about? What has He done? You know, I heard a story this week about someone who's making a huge life-altering decision in their life, and they're going, well, I'm just waiting to hear God's word on this, and, and it's completely, the decision they're going to make is completely against the word of God. And they're sitting there like, well, I'm just waiting for God to tell me something, and I want to tell them, God's already told you what to do through his word. And his love for you, his commands, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Well, isn't there another way to obey God? No! Well, what about other options here? Is there another way I can love God? Can I just be a half-baked Christian and be consumed? No, he's a jealous God. I'm jealous for my wife's attention. God is jealous for our attention. And he loves us and he longs to speak to us. And so we want a new word, a different word. God, give me something new. Give me something unique. Give me something special. Open his word. You know how God speaks most of the time? By reminding us. Isn't it annoying when someone reminds you of something you almost forgot? But it's also refreshing. Rod gives me reminders, and I love those reminders. Hey, Steve, don't forget this. And I go, thank you, Rod. The reminder. Rod, the reminder. Everyone say, Rod, the reminder. Like, I didn't sign up for that one. <laughs> Jesus reminds us. Well, I want a fresh word, God. I want a fresh something. I want fresh this and fresh that. New visions and new dreams. Man, you're not going to get any of that until you go back here to the first verse, the first command. Pick up his word and let the word remind you to come alive. Pray for a revelation. Yeah, I'll give you a revelation. Open the Bible. So old fashioned. You actually believe that? Absolutely. Amen. This is the greatest work of literature the world has ever known. Amen. And the minute that they can continue to doubt it and look back at it, archaeological digs, now they pick up more stuff and they look at this and there's another thing and another thing. Just pointing to scripture. Do you know the world of archaeology? Do you know they'll actually bring the Bible with them as their map? We're looking for new revelation. And I challenge you today to become old-fashioned again 
and say, Lord, remind me of your word. Awaken me up because I'm lacking in my desire and my love to simply know you. You know what's been so beautiful for me? We started that yearly Bible thing. Some of you signed up for that to just go through the Bible in a year. And I don't care what you do, what your habit is, great. But just get a habit going of the Bible. I don't care how you do it. I don't care if you read upside down. I don't care if you put it on an audiobook. I don't care if you run in the shower. I don't care. Amen. Amen. But start a habit so that the fire can start. And I have found that as I've started creating those habits and redoing those things, I've said, wait a minute, the Steve Lapp in high school was a lot more on fire and prayer and everything than the Steve Lapp now. What's going on? A little bit more intensity back then. Why are we so intense now? Get successful now, got business, four kids, amazing wife. Church, it's all good. Hold dearly to him. I challenge you this week to hold dearly to him. I'm not challenging you to pray 46 more hours this week. I'm challenging you to be with him. If you're not with him, you're not with him. That was deep. It's really deep, Tyler. That was good, right? <laughs> Write that with a sharp beat. Challenge us this week for our love for God is, is He's going to paint the love of our church. It's, it's not going to be because we're doing bigger things and awesomer things and what about this? And, and that's hard for me because I look at that. I'm typing I'm like, man, our church, I've told people this, is, it's hard sometimes because we're not doing all of this and all of that. And Lord, what's wrong? He's like, Steve, that's not what it calls you to do. Love me. And love the people that I've given to you. That's all. And I will unfold to you what to do next and how to do it. But see, loving God is, is something that you can't measure, is it? We can't measure loving God. We can't put it in a Petri dish. We can't do anything with it other than just out of the heart the mouth speaks and we go after the things of God. But hold dearly to Him. And I believe this spills over to things. Jesus said the greatest commandment, right, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor. That's all the commands hinge on that. Some of those pastors out there think they did away with the Ten Commandments, right? Remember those? So what happens is when we lack in our love for God, our big heart for God, our openness and our longing for him, the intensity, the passion, the zeal for my father's house. We lose that because it's become commonplace for us. Church is common for us. The people around us, they're common people. And then what starts to happen is when we create this, end, this fierce independence that we've done in our culture and we create an antisocial church behavior. Let's all say that together. You ready for this? Antisocial church behavior. People I love what Jack Hiles writes. He says, you will never really love until you love someone who hates you. You will never really love until you love someone who hates you. Jesus did that. The world didn't receive him, did they? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And when he came, the world which he was received to didn't even recognize him. 
You will never really love until you love someone who hates you. Isn't it hard to love when someone hates you? And when they say all manner of evil against you? Another item in church, we become antisocial in our church. We say, well, I just got God. It's me and God. I don't need church. I don't need anything in the church. What does church have to offer me? You can't even love God unless you're loving people. Amen. Right. Didn't get an amen there. I got one from Quentin. Yeah. Yeah. Someone said, if you haven't been hurt by people at church, you haven't been attending long enough. <laughs> With a show of hands, has anyone in here been hurt in church? Can we all raise our hand, please? Okay, good. Only half the people in here. So people have hurt you, people have offended you, people have done things, people have misunderstood you. I, I'm the worst offender of it all. I hurt everyone. That's just me. I just, I'm a herder guy, right? I'm, I say it wrong, do this wrong, and so I, somebody didn't do this wrong, I didn't call this person, didn't write this letter. So pastor, you're the idiot. We become antisocial because we're offended. Watchman Nee said those who walk around offended haven't died yet. So we're walking around offended at church, at the body of Christ which God gave to us that we're supposed to sacrifice for and love and to serve. And what we say is it's just me and God. And we go off into the forest, we go out into our parties, or I love the line of a guy I met, and he's like, yeah, I go out fishing and I point at the sky and say, God, it's pretty cool out here. Folks, you can worship God in nature, but that's not the body of Christ. We're antisocial in our behavior. We're fiercely independent. And it's all chalked up in this term, my personal relationship with Jesus. Isn't that deep? Sam Alberry writes, how we treat his people is how we treat him. Do you remember what Jesus did when he came to earth? He died for us. And our antisocial church behavior. Do you know? I'm reading a church right, or reading a book right now about uh, the church that is leaving the church, and it's filled with emails and testimonies of all the people and all the reasons why they were offended and what they did at church. And it's just a synopsis. And I think basically what's happening in the Western church is what's going on in Europe, where millions of people that call themselves Christians are not attending church anymore. They're not going. And we can register all our complaints and say what's wrong with this church and how that is. But it still boils down to we need each other. We need the body of Christ. And if we're not loving people, we're not loving God. Amen. It really is that simple. You say, man, you, you can't be fiercely independent and at the same time say, man, I need the body of Christ. And yet separate from that and say, well, I'm the foot. But if the foot's away from the body, we're missing the foot. We look for the next big thing. How are you affecting, by the way, and influencing those who sit next to you in this place right now? This is where we're going to bring it all down to pragmatics. We all look for the next big thing, but how are we engaging the people around us? Are we talking to any new people? Are we developing relationships? Because the key here is not for us to have good Bible studies and a good Sunday service and then have us just disperse out there. The New Testament church was patterned like this. They met together daily, breaking bread in prayer and having communion. So they really got engaged with each other. They really had a communal kind of effect where if one person was in need, everyone got blessed by it. And I know that's really boring New Testament church, and it doesn't fit into our fiercely independent example of church nowadays, but the people together loved each other. 
And they would do anything for the people around them. I like to call it like this when I'm down, going down a black alley, there's people that I want around me. And I want my turning point folks around me. But if you're off in a forest by yourself praying to Jesus, those people can't be in the black alley with you. How are you engaging the others around you? We're all guilty of it. I say this, Lord, give me the next message that will really break through to the people. Lord, send the masses. Aren't those great prayers? We're praying big prayers and we just glide over the top of the people who are here among us right now. Take a good stock of your daily habits and your routines and see how you're intertwining. Do you, do you need the people around you here? Do you need the people around you? Let me be very real with you. The next big thing that is in front of you is the person right next to you. Not out there, somewhere, but here. And it all starts here from the ground up. And as a pastor and as a shepherd, what I want to do is till the fallow ground there of our love and our devotion to each other and say, and by the way, we do a really, really good job here at Turning Point. But let me tell you, just like what Jesus would declare for us, that spirit raises and I say, God, where have I gotten lazy? Where have I looked at people and really not gone into the depths of relationship with them and been with them and hung out with them? Philippians chapter 2, let's see how that works. Let's see how the church works out here. See, what we've done now in the model in the Western church now and in America is we hire pastors to do that. We hire the people to be the handshakers. Here, you be the official greeter person. Here, you be the hanger-outer of that person that I don't want to do. Here's my tithe. You, you go hang out with them because I don't want to talk to them. They have bad breath. <laughs> I had one guy at a church growing up where he forgot to wear deodorant, and it was so hard for me. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And he was getting a job somewhere, and this pastor calls me. He's like, what do you think about him? What would you do, Steve? And I'm like... Dude, he will go to the cleaners with you. He'll do anything for you. But I will tell you one thing, that you need to tell him to wear deodorant at his meetings. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. That's not there. <laughs> Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. I want you to get out of over-spiritualizing your life in this moment. I want you to take off all of the all the stuff. All the stuff will happen, but it only will happen after this moment. I want you to not over-spiritualize. Well, I'm asking the Lord to lay upon my heart if I'm supposed to do this. That's the word. Just go do it. What can be wrong with helping someone? What can be wrong with blessing? Don't pray about it. Go do it and pray about it afterwards. You're like, that's not spiritual, Pastor. Listen, walk with God. He wants you to bless people. There's nothing preventing you today from blessing anyone in Turning Point Church or this neighborhood right now. Should I go mow the person's house? Maybe the reason you got that going in your brain in the first place is because God was speaking to you. Well, should I do this? Or man, if you man, if you can bless someone and you got things in your head, go bless someone. See, what happens is when you're overflowing in love for Christ, 
that you don't need a word from the Lord. The word of the Lord is with you all the time, and you just do it. You know, have you met people that are just cheerful givers, and they go after people, and they're not sitting praying about the next thing. They're going after it. Stop praying, turning point. <laughs> do. We pray about too much and work around too much, too little. We're guilty of the big things. Here we go. Let's get back to this. Where did I go? Philippians chapter 2, 3 and 4. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for only your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God. He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God. And he died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to a place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That that name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth, under, under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God our Father. See, Jesus stripped all of his godlike, godhood status and became a servant. He became a servant. I think of that picture in our cafe, you'll see it. Monty's carrying around a busboy thing. And he's walking through the big box of all the dishes from the Applebee's thing and I just think of life and how it is in the church and how when we serve and we model service to people because we're serving people out of love every one of us gets that busboy outfit and we're not carrying privileges things and we're not assuming privileges and sitting in seats of honor we go to the back and we serve and we love and we grow and we protect the people the next big thing is right next to you Maybe this week you start to take an interest in those here around your church. The ordinary Sunday school becomes so special. The ordinary Bible study becomes special because you're breaking bread with those around you. The time together outside these four walls, as you chat and as you pray and as you share life together, all because you took interest in the lives of those around you. Lord, help us to love others as we first did is the challenge for all of us. Turn real quick to Galatians chapter 6. I want to get us back to the ordinary. The mundane. Galatians 6, 2 and 3 says, Share each other's burdens, and in this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You're not that important. Be careful. Uh, pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else, for we are each responsible for our own conduct. I love that ordinary life that we kind of start diving in and we start carrying each other's burdens that they have. How many people in here, you have to raise your hand, but you've got a burden in your life right now, and it sure would help with someone to help you carry it. 
Now there are some burdens where only the Holy Spirit can help you carry that there. We can't carry everything and we can't carry... That's not the church's goal is to carry everyone's problems all the time. We don't have enough time in a day. I don't have enough pastor anointing on me to fix every problem in this place. But let me tell you something. When we grow together in God and we start to have a love for people and a passion for people and the ordinary lives and we start to pick up and we start to help carry burdens in people's lives, boy, is that a special thing. Boy, is that a special thing. Walker Percy said in his novel, he said he's got all A's and he flunked ordinary living. So we can get all A's and all the church of Doctrine them. Service them. And lose and flunk ordinary church life. Francis of Assisi said, do few things, but do them well. Simple joys are holy. Folks, I am not going to leave here today, and you're not going to leave here today saying, man, I've got to do more of this and do more of that. No, do a few things but do them really, 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 really good. Amen. And where you're gifted at, we don't need to have a sign-up sheet, turning point, and a bulletin board for us to figure out what we can do and how we can do it and have a volunteer Sunday sign-up. Man, what did the New Testament church do before a bulletin board? <laughs> and I get it. We wait for it. We wait till something becomes popular. Oh, the buzz... But folks, I want to get past all the buzz of it all and get back to ordinary people. And maybe it just starts with a phone call this week to someone in this place that you've never talked to. And you can say there are certain people in here that you literally have never had more than a five-minute conversation in the past ten years of your life. It is time for you to pick up the phone and say, let me introduce myself. I go to Turning Point Church, and I am so sorry I have not got a chance to talk to you. Let's go back to ordinary So many people that you and I could bless, even in our financial gifts, by the way. Thank God that people give here our lights stay on. And thank God that people give because our missions projects and the work of the ministry happen. Thank God that people, and even in their financial gifts, have said, you know what, I want to be a blessing to this. That they have gone past the point of just writing a check because the pastor asked me to write a check. But they come into the house of God saying, God, I am giving my gift to you. I am giving it unto the Lord. Do you know, we love the people. We want to bless the people. And we've taught our kids from the very beginning that when they give their gifts, they are not giving their gifts to Turning Point Church. They are giving their gifts to the Lord. So many people here to bless, isn't there? So many people here to partner with that you haven't partnered with yet. You know, it's so great because everybody's at a different experience and a different place in their life. And why it's so important for us connecting with others and to love the, the body of Christ like never before, especially in these last days. The hearts of men will go weak and people will go off into their own little worlds. But there is something very protective about being in a place where the people can surround. Isn't it the most beautiful thing to surround people and to pray for them and to stand for them and to believe with them? Isn't it a powerful thing to see a need and not have to have another 15-minute board meeting? Isn't that beautiful? All that we would ask the Lord 
Give me a deep love for those around me. Lord, forgive me for my lack of interest. And that's what it boils down to. We're, we're not interested. Because we've created this personal salvation between me and God. Yes, it is, but it's extremely corporate. Because the minute you come into the kingdom, God uses you and you become gifts to men and you've got to be involved with people. <laughs> Lord, forgive me for being stuck on me. The personal savior mindset. The local church should be the antidote to both individualism and tribalism. Boy, isn't that hard now to, nowadays, the tribalism mentality. A place where each person stands individually before God as a, as a member of a new people and as a new family. When you come into the kingdom of God, you're part of the family. We're born again, but you're not just new in your relationship and you and God and going into heaven and all the benefits of that, but you're also part of a beautiful family that God's given to you. How many have the perfect family in this place? How you? Yeah, me and Mark. We don't, we don't have the perfect families. We don't have the perfect situations. We have things that we would prefer that were better. We have things that we would like to move here and shift there. We all have things going on. And God puts us into this family for some reason. And I believe it's to be used of God and be a voice there. I wanted to read you a, a little story. When we're into our just self-interested, fixing our personal issues and problems, so our default is not to get involved with anyone else. If you have problems and you have things that you failed at, we kind of get into the self-defeating mode that, well, I can't help people because I'm struggling. How many have felt that way before? You feel condemned. And you say, well, man, if I fail here, how can I help anyone there? Can I tell you right now that I fail miserably all the time? And I have to go back and I have to ask for forgiveness of my attitude or whatever. I, I get frustrated, whatever it is, and I have to fix that. But that doesn't prevent me from the gifting and calling that God has given to me. And we have to receive healing in our lives. And maybe if you've got messes with people that have been created, I don't care who started the mess, and I don't care who's made it the big problem, you have an opportunity to provide healing for it. And I read this beautiful story in here in uh, Chasing Francis about the story of Francis of Assisi. And it said this, Irene smoothed the paper bag, her lunch came in and used it as a placemat on her lap. So what do you think so far, she asked. She was just got done teaching in a class. I'm impressed. The class I had attended while Irene taught hers had been about Francis' approach to peacemaking. The instructor, an American friar named Brother Frank, who lived and worked among the Palestinians, had been delighted with the students' participation. They had challenged and stretched him. These kids know their business. I, I was nothing like them when I was their age, I said. What were you like? I thought for a moment. My relationship with Jesus was more personal, I replied. I never thought about how faith related to big global issues. Irene put down her sandwich. I've always found the phrase personal relationship with Jesus a little puzzling. I don't mean to be rude, but it sounds self-interested. I've always had an intimate relationship with Jesus, but my faith is more rooted in the communal than the personal. I was beginning to see your point. During my time at the Friary, I experienced Jesus' presence in a way I'd never had before. And I had come through being such a close community, eating together, praying together, living together, doing life that close with a group of Christians was something new to me. The faith I had embraced was more, more of an individualistic enterprise than anything else. Can I ask you a personal question, I said, peeling my orange? Of course. Emmanuel found peace. What about you, I asked. Sister Irene sighed. Some days I feel like I have forgiven 
And other days I pray the Lord's Prayer and feel like a hypocrite. I begin to think that forgiveness is not something you do, it's something that gets done to you. I cocked my head. What do you mean? Perhaps the power to forgive cannot be manufactured, but is a chrism that you receive, she said. I hope so. I haven't been very successful at generating it on my own. You need to make peace with someone, Irene asked. I chuckled. Let me see. My parents, the church, God, my childhood. Irene frowned and grasped my hand and looked me square in the eye. And she said this. Listen to this part. Do you really want peace? Yes, I said. And you want to spread peace to the world? Yes. Irene's face softened. You cannot until you have peace with yourself. She said, releasing my hand and placing her own over my heart. Warm currents of healing passed through her fingers. The bruises on my heart were exposed. Was this what lepers felt when Jesus touched them? She closed her eyes. While you are proclaiming peace with your lips, be careful to have it even more fully in your heart. Nobody should ever be roused to wrath or insult on your account. Everyone should rather be moved to peace and to goodwill and to mercy because of your restraint. For we have been called to the purpose of healing the wounded, binding up those who are bruised, and reclaiming the erring. Who said that I whispered? Irene Beam. What do you think? Francis could not be a peacemaker until he had peace about his broken relationship with his father, his lost dreams, and his own demons. It's no different for us. If we want to be peacemakers, we have to confront the wounds and the darkness in our hearts first. Otherwise, we will also be blaming others for our problems instead of looking at ourselves. And you know what, Chase? She looked at me in the eyes. No one else is ever the cause of your problem. He said, my face went hot. I don't think you're under. Yes, the church needs rebuilding. Yes, your parents failed you. Yes, you are a broken person. Yes, your tradition is not everything you thought it was. But do not blame anybody or anything else for your lack of peace or your problems. She paused and squeezed my hand. You are the biggest problem you have. My first impulse was to fight back, but my own heart silenced me saying, Amen. Let our actions show that we love one another. We are our biggest problem. Our problems are not out there. Our problems are not the people that we under our roofs, our problem is ourself. Because we fight against it and we don't allow the healing of God to happen. I wanted to open up one more verse of scripture. First John chapter 3. First John chapter Folks, you and I as believers know what real love is, don't we? It's not based on performance. It's not based on the people next to us praying right. It's not based on them never sinning again. It's based on we give our love to people around us because Christ loved us first. First John three sixteen through 20. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth so that we will be confident when we stand before God. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings and he knows everything. Let our actions show that we love each other. 
This week, I challenge you to pick up the phone. I don't want you to pick up social media and hit up someone's Facebook. Fooey on social media. It's ruined our ability to actually communicate with someone. Don't text someone. I want you to call someone this week from here. Maybe you write a letter. Letters are beautiful. Might take a few days. And it also might give you the ability to be thoughtful in your approach of what you're going to say to that person without using an emoji with a tear. But this is what we have. And I would dare say this is all you have. When Jesus was doing ministry and his mom was coming to see him, he said, who are my brothers and my sisters? My mothers. It's you. So folks, we have a family that's much more important than just blood. It's the body of Christ that we're going to see for all eternity. And we're not going to have our little mansion. I hate to mess your life up. But your personal independence and your personal relationship with Christ is going to be highly impersonal because in my Father's house there are many rooms is the correct definition. You're not going to get a mansion in the back nine with a view of a golf course. You're going to be around people. I know we each want our own little segment of land with a six-foot fence, but you're going to be around people in heaven. People are, I'm not going to heaven there. <laughs> no. I don't know what you're talking about, Pastor. I'm going to go to that other pastor teaching that other thing. No, you're going to be around people, man. And you're going to be celebrating in the house of God and worshiping. You're going to have your own little fishing pole and going off by yourself. No, we're going to have some of that too. I'm going to go say that. But it's going to be a time of, man, company. Do you realize how much joy we're going to experience with Christ in heaven? The people who have gone before us just waiting, being surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses, they're cheering us on because man, they want us to finish the race and to get to see them. Just me and Jesus. Yeah, you go on that way, but just remember Jesus died for everyone in this room. So if you don't love the people in this room and the people around you, then you don't love God. Amen. Just be frank. You don't have a love for God because you don't have a passion for his people. And you don't need to be gifted with a passion. Lord, I'm sorry, I just don't have a gift of loving people. <laughs> There's no gift of that in the Bible. Yeah, right. yeah. We physically intertwine. As ridiculous as it may sound, sometimes any of us Needs in life is for someone to hold our hand and walk next to us. Amen. I love what that saying said. It says, as ridiculous as it may sound, sometimes all any of us needs in life is for someone to hold our hand and just simply walk next to us. Sandra, if you want to come up here and start playing. And as she starts playing, I want you to think of two things. This, this, this sermon was not about you doing more. I want you to get that out of your head because we, are, we, we right away in our religious spirit go to, well, what four things should I do today now? I want you to just pray, God, right now, and if, and if you're in that place, if you're not in that place, it's, I don't want that. But maybe you're in a place where you say, God, I don't have a love erupting for you or your sheep. 
You're a, you're a believer today, but man, to say that you really have this passion and zeal to go after God, it's okay to pray the simple prayer of God. I'm not going to lie to you. My love is not hot on fire for you. And I definitely don't care if I ever see some people ever again. But Lord, infect my heart again with your kind of love and your passion and your zeal for your people. But I wanted to give each of you this as a little gift. There's a beautiful saying that Mother Teresa wrote, and I never saw it before. And it said, I am a little pencil in the hands of a writing God who is sending a love letter to the world. And it said that little note on there, and these are all number two pencils. And the reason why these are all the same, everybody had a number two pencil in high school and grade school and middle school that you had to have. No one's unique in this place in the sense that you're special, more special than someone else. God has given all of us his beautiful son, Jesus Christ. He lives in us the glory of God through the temple of the Holy Spirit. So everyone else has the ability to be, be a writing instrument in the hands of God, writing a love letter to those around you. You know that love letter? I've got a box of love letters that no one else will see but me and my wife. She gave me, and they're beautiful. They're in my closet, and they, it's just a little thing that's standard. Beautiful love letter. What a beautiful love letter Christ has written to us, and now we're to write to those around us. I want you to take one of these and then pass them around, if you will. We don't really need ushers, or maybe we can have ushers help with that. Or, uh, yeah. Then just can you help make sure that gets all the gets everyone there? And as you get that, I just want you to close your eyes for a moment. Maybe look at the pencil first. What a beautiful song that uh, Sanders chose. Lord, make me like you. You were a servant. Make me one too. <laughs> you know, helping people and being servants to others, I just pictured now Jesus sitting with his disciples and he takes off his outer cloak and he starts to wash the feet of the disciples. And at the heart of service, it's a really awkward moment for people because we don't know that kind of service often. And it's almost intrusive when you help people. You almost feel like you're intruding, don't you, when you really help someone. And you have to kind of take back pride because when you receive help from somebody, it's really humbling because you're like, no, 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 wait, let me do it. We all are like Peter and we say, no, 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 Jesus, let me, let me wash your... Feet. He's like, no, if, if I don't wash your feet, you'll have no part with me. So it becomes awkward to receive help. It receives, to receive come some kind of service, something that you didn't expect. And this week, what I want you to think about, that little pencil that you have in your hand, that you are a writing instrument in the hand of a mighty God writing a love letter to the world, that you today are that person. And as you humbly come to God and say, God, Help me. How do I minister to those in this church? How do I love the people in this church the way you want me to love them? Maybe you call someone. Maybe you write a letter. Maybe the simple thing is you get out the directory that 
And Nina's so beautifully put together, and you say, man, I haven't talked to that person. I don't even know their last name. And you just write a letter and just bless them, or you call them, or you do something that you haven't done. This is the body of Christ. This isn't a church service. This isn't a class. This is the living body of Christ that you and I so desperately need. You are not just you and God. You are to be used of God with the people around you. And fully on all of our schedules, in our busyness, use the three hours of face time and turn it off. Folks, God loves you. God loves me. And he demonstrated his life for us and he poured out his life. And we today are being challenged to be servants, to not look over the horizon and look for the next big thing or the next big move. The move happens in our ordinary lives as we allow God to write and to use us as we relax in his hand. And he starts to write out the love story to those around us to our neighbors, as we approach them with a holy reverence, saying, God, you have placed this person before me. Teach me how to talk. Teach me how to speak. Teach me how to pray. Teach me to be used of you. I am the pencil in the hand of a mighty God. Today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, God's speaking to our church with these beautiful letters. And he starts it out with you do great things. But you don't have the love that you have, that you used to have for me and for the people in your church. Today, maybe God is raising that over you and saying you're doing great things, but come back to this first love. Repent of that. Today, if that's you, would you raise your hand? I want to pray with you. In this moment, right now, in Jesus' name, would you raise your hand, please? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God's going to give you a supernatural love and power and strength. Be bathed in His glory so that you can be a writing instrument, so that you can be a love letter for those around you. I want to pray with everyone who raised their hand. Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus. I thank you. For loving me first. I didn't love you first. You loved me first. And you came to me just the way I was. And today, God, I raised my hand saying, help me to love how you love. Lord, help me to serve how you serve. Lord, I thank you for the church that you've given to me the people around me, the people that will fight for me, the people that will pray for me. Help me, God, to fight for them and to pray for them and to be there for them. Through thick and thin, not when they're perfect. In fact, when they're down and out, when they need me the most, I will not judge, but I will stand with them. Lord, the love that you're giving to me will, in fact, cover a multitude of sins. I thank you for this love, God. 
Jesus' name. Beautiful. For those of you who already responded, and for those of you who are still moving along in that, just your prayer this week would be, God, just use me to demonstrate the love in this church. And not just in this church, it's sometimes easy, but also to the neighbors and your family, and saying, God, help me to throw off my defenses and my stubbornness and my views and all of these things, and they just, they don't allow us to minister to people, do they? I love you. And just know this today, that you are a writing instrument. You are a pencil and the hand of a mighty God. And God's going to write a love letter this week. I don't know how and what he does and what miracles he breaks through, but I do know it's going to happen in a very ordinary day for you. Amen. Amen. Shall we party? We've got a beautiful party for uh, Monty and Paulette today that we're going to go after with them. And we just want to... Send them off. Get cake all over everything. All right? Yeah, sure.